Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yes! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. No. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when no. they're not. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away what's up guys welcome back to another episode of apologia radio i'm jeff they call me the ninja that's luke the bear right there what up welcome back everybody to another delicious episode everybody thank you for joining us across them internets everywhere you are wherever you are thank you guys so much make sure you guys share this episode very excited about this particular episode because we are going to be engaging with some commentary by an online hyperion right what he calls himself, yeah. He calls himself a Hyperion, and uh, he also has videos saying uh, proof that there is, like, 100% proof that there is no God, stuff like that. Yeah. His name is uh, Morg. Morg. Morg Official. Not like Morgan, but Morg as in... We're dead people. Yes. Like whitewashed tombs. Yes. Morg That's, Official. That wasn't, a, that wasn't a comment about his face either no 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 so morg <laughs> official is uh is uh, who we're interacting with today he has a um he has a video well, has a number of videos up but he has a video up uh basically say, i'm going to read this it says this one verse proves jesus lied the end times so this one verse proves jesus lied the end times and we're also going to interact with um uh another video he has says right and wrong do not exist yeah everything you know about morality is a lie yeah so, right. <laughs> so he can't figure out which leg he wants to stand on. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, everything you want to know about morality is a lie, but right and wrong do not exist. Apparently that lie does matter. Yes, that right. one does. But lies yeah. don't matter because there is no right and wrong, but everything you ever thought you knew about morality is in fact a lie. And Jesus lied. And Jesus lied. Yeah. But don't worry about that because there is no That's right and wrong. Right. Yeah. Are we done? Let's go ahead and close the yeah. show out today. Yeah. We're finished. So what? It was a very it was a very short show today. Yeah. <laughs> yes and <laughs> Oh yeah. atheism is stupid. Yeah. We just need so to So is Hyperionism. We just need to that say is. that at the beginning that atheism is full like the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. 
as uh, we often have said on the show, um, being a fool in Scripture is not simply a jab at somebody. It's, a, it's, it's not just an indictment upon your intellectual prowess. It is also an indictment on your moral standing. So it's a moral indictment on top of being an intellectual indictment, of course. Mm. And I think, you know, as we start the show, like we're going to talk about somebody who's complaining. Well, he first says there is, you know, proof that there is no God. Then he says that uh, there is no right and wrong. But then he produces a video saying that Jesus lied, as if that mattered. Right. Uh, according to his position. So welcome yeah. back, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us in the live stream. We're so glad you guys have uh, joined us today. I want to encourage you guys to share this across social media. This will be an important one. And this one, we'll put a highlight over this one. And people put a hashtag, uh, Eschatology Matters. Uh, Pastor James has said for many, many years, theology matters, and uh, we believe that completely. It's absolutely true. We've got to get our, our hands around that truth. But I think this demonstrates that uh, eschatology, it does matter. Now, we'll enter into this discussion with a very keen awareness and sense of the fact that many of our brothers and sisters right now, even watching live, uh, we do not all share um, the uh, the same exact details concerning eschatological beliefs on the way there. Now, I want to make sure I very, very carefully say this. All Orthodox Christians, all Christians share the same basic eschatology in terms of Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. There is going to be a final judgment. All Christians agree on that. So I want to start with that. The unified belief system of Christians throughout Christian history is that there will be a final day of judgment and that there will be a resurrection, a physical resurrection of the just and the unjust. And so we share the same eschatology in a sense, a perspective of where history is going. History is, is linear. It's actually going somewhere towards a goal. Uh, atheism doesn't have that. History is just time and chance acting on matter. It's just chaos and motion, that sort of a thing. There are no goal-directed forces in the universe. I'm quoting, by the way, Dr. Will Provine, the late Dr. Will Provine, a professor of biology at Cornell. No goal-directed forces in the universe. There is no right. There is no wrong. Hey, he's got a lot in common with Morg Official on that point. Um, so interesting. But um, anyways, when we talk about eschatology mattering, uh, it's important to recognize that the popular perspective that clearly this guy had been mm -hmm. raised yeah. in he says he was raised in a Christian home. Same as me. Same, same as you. Same, mm -hmm. Yeah, and same eschatology that I, I entered into into the Christian church as well. Um, he was raised in a Christian home, and uh, he was raised under the popular modern perspective of, uh, it sounds, dispensational premillennialism, yeah. secret rapture, seven years of tribulation, all of that. Now, it's important to recognize without being offensive to brothers and sisters that hold to that perspective, we both did before, uh, that that perspective is not historic in terms of historic Christianity. Uh, I don't believe that it's exegetical or biblical, ultimately. I think that it uh, can be demonstrated that before the 19th century in the West, it didn't exist in the mind of Christians, that right. system itself. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theological or eschatological novum in church history. But be that as it may, this man was raised in that perspective, and thus he thinks that he can demonstrate that Jesus, in fact, lied about, he calls it his second coming and quote-unquote end times. Now, this is something we've said so many times uh, at Apologia Church and on Apologia Radio. Eschatology matters, and when we uh, distort 
the words of Jesus, misapply them, misinterpret them. Uh, it will be used as fodder uh, against the Christian church by atheists and Hyperians like, like this gentleman. And so, um, although I think I saw a video of something about him being non-binary. He was wearing a, a dress uh, or something. Uh, I just saw it was a thumbnail. I could be totally wrong. Maybe it was a spoof, but I think... That, well, that actually makes sense, yeah. But, I, I think just from watching two videos and kind of spending a few minutes looking into him a little bit um i th this hyperionism basically is just it's modern day gnosticism so it's basically like we're our bodies are just a shell you know we exist some somehow else like i think he even says in the soul somehow or something but oh, so basically he, it's it's i mean it, it's it's spot on gnosticism it's, it's like the body's bad but you know um, there's no objective morality. There's no objective anything. He's going to objectively tell us so yeah. that everything is about reason and logic. That's objective, but nothing's objective, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, listening to two shows, I don't know this for a fact, but that makes sense. What you said, I'm guessing that. Well, I know he was raised in a Christian home. He says it. Um, he he also has major complaints about, against Christianity having issues with homosexuality. So I'm guessing that he was raised in a Christian home and decided that he was homosexual or whatever he wants to call himself. And now his whole goal in life is to take down Christianity because he doesn't like how they treat him. Um, so that's that's my guess. Just watch. And if you go to his webpage, which I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it's not, it's not worth it. But like, if you go to his, like, the Instagram and stuff, it looks like some kind of weird demonic sex cult. Mm. And it's really creepy. And so... Yeah, the yeah. video the videos are interesting to say yeah. the least. Uh, I've seen I've seen a few of them over the last uh, couple of years, I believe. And uh, we were going to do a response once before to I think his uh, something on the ex existence of God, but we just ended up having to do some other stuff. Uh, but this we thought was important. It came across uh, my feed, and I thought it'd be good to engage this because this would be helpful for the church. Um, I have said many times before that atheists do use a mis. Um, interpretation of Matthew 24, the Great Tribulation yeah. passage, the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24, in the Synoptic Gospels, same Olivet Discourse, people have used bad Christian interpretation of those passages um, to uh, against the Christian church. Like, okay, if you're saying that's the second coming and the end of the cosmos, uh, then Jesus told a lie. Now, I want to just go on record here at, at the start as we sort of get into this discussion, uh, responding to an atheist that Jesus lied about the timing of his second coming uh he is right about the fact that jesus did tell his disciples who were listening to him at that time that they would see these things and that their generation not some future generation he uses the near demonstrative that generation that he was talking to this generation in front of him that they were going to see his coming in judgment upon Jerusalem, which, of course, would include that destruction of the second Jewish temple. And yes, it is absolutely true. I believe it can be demonstrated very clearly that Jesus was speaking about their generation. And thank God he was, because everything he said was going to take place did take place. And it came in fulfillment of all that the Old Testament said was going to happen when the Messiah came. There was a promise of one salvation and two judgment upon the covenant breakers there was an expectation mm -hmm. that when messiah came there was going to be salvation and purification and there was going to be judgment upon the covenant breakers and lo and behold jesus comes in and that's precisely the story he's telling salvation and judgment upon the 
the covenant breakers and it's going to happen before they all die so he does have this right he's actually able to read his bible uh better than i think many of us christians have jesus was talking to them yeah the problem is is that because um he had an understanding Right. Uh, that was given to him, of course, by the Christian community he was in, that that passage is about a, a rapture and it's about uh, the end of the world. Uh, then he says, well, look, I spot the error. He's saying it to them. He said that they weren't going to die. He's talking about them. He's right about that. But he's wrong about what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about the end of the world and the final judgment and the second coming. And I think we can demonstrate that on today's show. So glad you guys joined us. I hope that this is a benefit to you. This isn't just about uh, trying to convince you about an eschatological position in terms of postmillennialism or anything like that or amillennialism or anything like that. This is really about actually exegeting the text of Scripture yes. and uh, refuting those who contradict. And it is about defending the glory of Jesus Christ. He is, in fact, the Messiah. He is, in fact, God in human flesh. Uh, Jesus did not lie. God cannot lie. And Jesus told no lies in Matthew 24. Isn't it amazing, Luke? We've talked about this many times. I use Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. Exactly, yeah. Because all those things happened. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not the first pastor to do that. You can look at Eusebius way back. And I'm going to read some of Eusebius here to show you that Eusebius Eusebius, early church pastor, one of the uh, early Christians, uh, he, we have his writings, and he said that uh, Jesus was referring there to what took place in their lifetime, and they actually followed what he said and therefore escaped the judgment on Jerusalem. The Christians did. So this isn't a theological novum or eschatological novum that we're presenting. Christians in history have used Matthew 24 as vindication of Jesus as right. Messiah. They said, it happened. But now here we are, and people are saying in dispensational premillennialism and other perspectives, no, that refers to a future, a future situation, and atheists will say, ah, 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 he said it was going to happen in their lifetime. So how do we handle it? Very important um, that we do this in a way that glorifies God and uh, that is also humble but refutes boldly those who contradict. So ready to go, Luke? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, first thing, let's do. Let's go ahead and uh, let's talk to. Uh, let's uh, talk to. Let's uh, <laughs> hear uh, this man speak and open up the conversation for us. Here we go, Carmen. According to mainstream religion, lying is a sin, but I bet you didn't know that the Bible shows that Jesus is a liar. And it wasn't just a little white lie either. It's about as big of a lie as you can possibly imagine because it's about the end of the world in a situation that's actually similar to what we're experiencing right now. I'm going to show you the one verse that shows that Jesus is a liar and what it has to do with the end of the world. All right. So let's uh, let's start with just that point there. Let's talk about uh, the text itself. Now, uh, to do this correctly, we have to do this in a way that's faithful to the text. And let's talk about Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. So Matthew, of course, is the most Jewish-centered uh, gospel that we have in the gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John is very unique in, in how it is written and the kinds of things that it details, John's purpose. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, synoptic means seeing together. You can line them up and see them together. Um, and some give more details, some give like more of a Jewish, uh, a Jew, well, a, a Gentile explanation. Mm -hmm. So for example, and this is important about this conversation, Matthew 24, uh, Great Tribulation, Olivet Discourse, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, talking about the destruction that's soon to take place in their lives. Uh, Jesus says, when you see the abomination uh, causes desolation, he says, flee. 
right? And now that's very Jewish. They understand that's, oh, that's from Daniel, a Jewish audience in Matthew's recording, the abomination that causes desolation. Flee, when you see it, flee. Well, Luke's different. Luke gives you uh, more of a Gentile understanding and interpretation. So when he gets to that part of Jesus, all of a discourse, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee. So whereas Matthew gives you the understanding from a Jewish perspective, Luke is saying, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, leave and then flee. Um, and so let's talk about context, Matthew's context. Matthew starts, of course, with the description of Jesus as king and royal right to the throne. The genealogy is there. Matthew chapter 3. I'm not going to do all of this, but Matthew 3. We should do a sermon series through Matthew. We should sometime. do it. Maybe we should do it sometime. Yeah, maybe it take us 10 years uh, to do one chapter. So Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is introduced. By the way, John the Baptist had to be introduced. In Malachi chapter 3, you see the promise that there's going to be a forerunner to the Lord whom you seek, and he will come to his temple. So forerunner comes first, this, and then messenger of the covenant stuff, all that is there. So John the Baptist comes in, and he says what to his generation? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, at the fingertip reach. It's right there. The rule, by the way, don't get thrown by the language kingdom of heaven. It is kingdom of God, the rule of God. What were they expecting? Messiah to come and to rule to bring the nations to God. So the kingdom of heaven, don't think airy, gassy, fat babies on harps, sort of a, fat babies on harps, fat babies with harps <laughs> on clouds. <laughs> think of, think of uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Messiah, the rule of God. John the Baptist says it's at hand. And then he says to the Jewish leaders that are there, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath the Greek word is mellow, about to come. The rule, the, the, the wrath about to come. And he says the winnowing fork is in his hand and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So it's already the teeth of the axe are mm -hmm. already there at that tree ready to take it down. He's threatening them about what's about to happen to them. And by the way, if you read Malachi, that's kind of what you expect right? You expect judgment on the covenant breakers and salvation. And John's telling that story. Kingdom of God is coming and you're about to be judged to the covenant breakers. Then you move on into Matthew's story in Matthew chapter 10. I'll, I'll, listen, this is even better. I'll give the guy, Morg, official, I'll give him one better. In Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus is sending his disciples out, he actually tells them what I think is more devastating than most atheists miss. Let me give you some more to work with. It's even better. Um, I hope you wouldn't uh, misinterpret it after this one, but here's a better one. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, when he's sending the disciples out, he says, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Whew. What? Uh, <laughs> Jesus saying that they're not going to finish this, this uh, completely finish this evangelistic mission before he comes, before he returns. The question is, what does that mean? Because Yahweh came a lot in the Old Testament in judgment upon nations, upon his people. And so we need to not uh, hear Jesus saying that he's returning and think that, the, oh, that's the final judgment, final resurrection. No, that's there's plenty of judgment comings and days of the Lord in the Old Testament record. And so when Jesus is talking about coming in judgment upon the covenant breakers, we don't need to see that as the final resurrection. It doesn't, it, it shouldn't be seen that way, especially in light of the fact that the Old Testament said that the coming of the Messiah would be salvation and judgment upon the covenant breakers. We're going to do some of that and talk about even Luke's favorite, Isaiah 65. Um, and uh, why don't you, actually, you know what, let's go ahead and uh, get into that conversation. Tell everyone 
uh, how your mind started to change because this is actually I don't yeah. want maybe we should just do it now because Isaiah 65 is Old Testament it's expectation yeah. right Messiah's coming what's going to happen how did that damage your perspective well I yeah obviously I grew up like I said in a dispensational pre-mill church like I think most Christians in our nation I didn't know there was another perspective um and then until I moved here actually I think so this is almost 14 years ago now um and then as when we started hanging out and then you were like i think you were going through matthew 24 with the youth group or something and it was like what what's <laughs> happening right right so that's kind of started the process and then i read you had me read uh parousia by james stewart russell um which talking about the synoptics they lay it all lays out all the passages um with each other and through the different gospels which is super helpful um but so that kind of was changed my mind a lot and then when i got to isaiah 65 that was the passage that that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me uh because basically that's where that's god's divorce with israel essentially you know and i think the you start saying my my people have a new name you know so he starts referring to israel as his ex-wife and his new wife has a new name it's 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 a completely different entity and so that's where for me where I saw a complete cutting off of this dispensation. And, um, so I actually, I, I told you, but I, I, when I f- first read through that and studied that, I was actually angry for quite some time because I grew up in the church and don't ever remember a pastor even like reading a verse from Isaiah 65. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. That's it. In so what, yeah. What Luke is referring to is Isaiah 65. It, it, Isaiah is, is just chocked full of messianic prophecy. You have Isaiah 53, you've got the suffering servant justifying the many as he bears their iniquities. You get the promise of this coming Messiah establishing justice on the earth and the coastlands waiting for his law. Isaiah two, the nation streaming up to God's mountain, all that salvation of the Messiah. But Isaiah 65 is massive. Isaiah 65, God actually challenges his covenant people. And he says to them, like that they're essentially says that they're wicked and he says that basically his so he's going to do something new where his servants will eat and they're going to be hungry his servants will drink but they're going to be thirsty and then he actually says that he is going to give his servants a new name and uh, the the language is employed there of uh, new heavens and new earth uh, but that's the same kind of language god used in describing the establishment of the old covenant order it's a very jewish language very you must understand the old testament language to to understand this but here's the point in bringing up isaiah 65 when you see um, all of this taking place in a New Testament where judgment is going to happen to the covenant breakers, if you know your Old Testament and you're reading these passages, you expect the Messiah to come with salvation for God's people and then judgment on the covenant breakers. And lo and behold, that's what John the Baptist is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Matthew 16 we're going to deal with, of course, because he brings it up. But my point is, is this. Uh, if you read the context of Matthew, when Jesus sets his faith towards, face towards Jerusalem, it is all indictment upon the Jewish people. It is straight indictment. It is the, the uh, parable he gives about the vineyard owner. Um, they kill the owner of the vineyard's son. What's he going to do? And they say, oh, he's going to destroy those miserable wretches, and he'll give out the vineyard to others who will give him the fruit of it. And Jesus says, uh, yeah, that's you. And then he talks about, you know, the, the king who has this wedding feast, and he's, you know, he's inviting, but they won't come. The people who are supposed to come don't come. So then he sends his armies to destroy their city. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Jesus has the indictment on, in Matthew 23 well, on the Jewish leaders. It's, 
it's it's the epic roast of the Jewish uh, leadership in Jerusalem where he calls them whitewashed tombs and uh, all of that is there. And then, of course, after he says, behold, your house is left to you desolate in Matthew 23, he departs. Now, the disciples have been witnessing Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and it is this heaping of indictment upon the covenant, the covenant breakers who are there, who are rejecting him as Messiah, and then Jesus promising them destruction. Just start reading from Matthew 21 through 24 and ask yourself the question, who is Jesus primarily talking to in these passages? Is it about the end of the world? Or is it, is it about the end of the Old Testament, Old Covenant economy age. and age? And by the way, that was where I wanted to go. So um, I'm gonna, I pulled it up here so you can see it with your own eyes and not just take my word for it. Um, uh, Carmen, go ahead and show the screen here. Uh, so if you look here, I pulled up Matthew 24 in an interlinear so you can see the English words and all that. Now, this uh, morgue uh, gentleman he actually says that this is about the end of the world. That's what he says. Jesus lied about the end of the world. So that's what he thinks that Matthew 24 is about. Now, how you can get that if you're reading Jesus entering into Jerusalem and all his indictments upon the covenant breakers is beyond me. But the text actually is not about the end of the world. The text, you can see with your own eyes here, and this is Matthew 24, as Jesus was sitting upon the Mount of Olives, came to him and the disciples in a private saying, tell us when these things will be, and what is the sign of your coming and of the consummation of the, what's that word? Ionos. Huh. That word there is age. Hmm. The consummation of the age or the end of the age. The word, there's a word for world, cosmos, physical world, and it's not this the word here is age now go ahead and bring it back here carmen why is that important well i've already stressed that the old testament says there was going to be salvation when the messiah came and judgment upon the covenant breakers now jesus comes into jerusalem and he indicts the jewish leadership for their lawlessness their sin their rejection of him he promises them they're going to be destroyed and then what he says behold your house is left to you desolate yep. and then what happens is that and this is crazy this is one of my favorite things he leaves the temple complex the whole area and he goes and departs to the mount of olives now what's amazing about that is if you know your bible when god actually was judging the jews before and their temple he actually departs from the temple and he goes towards the mount of olives and rests so before God destroys that first temple, he actually departs and he rests Mount of Olives, same direction. Jesus says, your house is left to you desolate, leaves the same direction and goes to the Mount of Olives to give the promise of the great tribulation and destruction in their day. Uh, coincidence? I think not. Yahweh is being consistent with what he did before, only now Yahweh is walking among us in the flesh. Now, Jesus says that there's not going to be left one stone standing upon another. Now, he just indicted the Jewish people. He just said their house is left in them desolate. Now the disciples are probably like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Like, look, look, they're, they're showing the buildings and like, what, what do you mean? This is all going to be destroyed. And then he tells them um, what to look for. Now, mind you, they wanted to know based upon the destruction of that old covenant order, when was this going to be? He just said it was going to happen. And now they want to know what's the end of the age. Because what do the Jews know? 
history was divided into two sections. You've got Old Covenant Age and the Age of the Messiah, the Messianic mm -hmm. Kingdom Age, the New Covenant Age. So for Jewish uh, beliefs about the future, they knew that their history was in two sections— Old Covenant order and the promise of the coming New Covenant and Messianic Kingdom. And so when they hear that that Old Covenant is good, order is going to be wiped away, desolate, they want to know about the end of the age. So this text is not about the end of the physical cosmos. And uh, let's, let's go on here and listen to more of Morg Official. If you're new here, my name is Morg, and we are dedicated to creating a new world of freedom and reason. And if that's a world that you want, then join our mission by subscribing right now and hit the bell so that you know when something new comes out. Before I can show you how Jesus clearly lied in the verse that shows it, you have to know a little bit about the end of the world, or what mainstream religion calls the end times, or the great tribulation. So according to mainstream Christianity, this will be a cataclysmic event when wars will break out everywhere, the Antichrist will come to power, and demons will roam the earth attacking people. Yeah, really. Eventually Jesus will return, and this is known as the second coming, and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth and have the devil chained up for a thousand years. Then he'll be released again. Anyway, before all that Okay, happens, so just real fast. Um, it does sound funny now that I'm on this side of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, well, okay. <laughs> um, so just it's important to note here and just be at least respectful to him. He is just reciting his tradition. Yeah. But what he needs to understand, Morg Official, is that you're not talking about any kind of historic Christian position or how Christians have handled this text in history. You're reciting a view of eschatology that um, is from the 19th century. Um, it was popularized by a popular study Bible at the time, and before that, uh, it, it was, well, the best way I can say it's a theological or eschatological novum in history. It's new. Um, and I'm sorry to say that you were impacted by that. He's going to talk about how he was impacted by that. Yeah. But just, again, to note, he's talking about end times and great tribulation. Um, I would say the great tribulation, um, it was promised upon the first century covenant breakers. Uh, and it happened on time as planned, exactly as Jesus said that it would. Again, I go, Morg, official, I go to Matthew 24 to show that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, that it happened exactly as he said and on time. So uh, your, your criticism isn't really with me or Luke or Christians historically that have had a, a much different, more consistent perspective. Your criticism, of course, is with the popular eschatology mm -hmm. of our day, of course. But here's the point. You're wrong when you say it's about the end of the world. The text is about the end of the age. You want to, anything else you want to add to that, Luke? No, I think that's pretty simple. Before the world is thrown into chaos, everyone who believes in Jesus will disappear. Again, yes, really. They all just literally vanish instantly, and they're transported to heaven. I'm not making this up. This mass disappearance occurs so that believers will be safe before the terrors of the end times happen. And this is known as the rapture. Now, by the way, I want to mention I was born into a strict Christian household, and I was a Christian for many years. And the idea of the rapture was absolutely terrifying. Whenever my parents would leave to go shopping or whatever, I'd run to the TV and turn on the news to make sure that the rapture didn't happen, that I wasn't left behind. I can't emphasize enough how ideas like hell and the rapture 
are traumatizing for children. Now, I, I want to say I, I sympathize yeah, with with the guy. I, I sympathize with the guy, and I think Isaac too has he shared stories with me before of like when oh, he was. Yeah. Uh, I think he told me once, like, he had this major traumatizing experience once where, like, his family left, and I guess they didn't say where he, they were going, and he was home alone, and so he honestly thought that they were raptured and he was left behind, so he was, like, sitting out on his patio bawling his eye, eyes on his parents showed back up, and like, what's wrong? He woke up in the attic all by himself. Yeah, and... I thought you were gone, I thought... So I, I understand, and I'm sure it was traumatizing. So I don't want to I don't want to be flippant towards his experience. I'm sure he had some pretty traumatizing um, uh, experiences with that belief system. However, um, it actually contradicts what he says elsewhere in terms of there being no right and no wrong, no moral position. So here's my point: there's nothing wrong with any of this, right. according to the man's own position. Right. Yeah. So. He, he says, you know, there's this stupid belief and they believe these weird things and all the rest. And like Jesus lied and I was traumatized. But this this is him elsewhere. So I'm going to show you a different video that wasn't that was done a while back. And this is the same guy who's telling us that Jesus lied and he was traumatized. And we're, I want, we're in ghost face. Yeah. And I want I want you to see him in this other video giving you another side of his beliefs. So here he is. There is no such thing as right and wrong. Good and evil do not exist. In fact, traditional morality has been set up as a way to limit your potential and to control you. These arbitrary rules and regulations are put into place to make sure that you are docile and easy to control like an animal in a herd. It's Okay, so here we go, real fast. Gotta say, do you, do you all... Okay, answer the fool, fool according to their folly, right? Get into his position. So what, what is the first, his first premise is right and wrong do not exist. There is no, you know, ultimate good or evil. And then he starts complaining about what Christians have believed about morality. And he starts complaining about arbitrary systems of morality. Now, can you hold that together for one moment? Ready? There is no ultimate objective right or wrong. There is no good or evil. There is no objective morality. So nothing about a moral claim makes it ultimately true mm -hmm. because there is no right or wrong. But yet he says we live in this world where there is no right or wrong, but people are creating arbitrary systems of morality. Well, guess what? It isn't right or wrong to do so because there is no right or wrong. Right. So if people create arbitrary systems of morality in a world where there is no morality— that in itself isn't right or isn't wrong, and all of it is meaningless anyways. And so do you see this man is an image bearer of God trying very hard to distort that image in himself, both uh, physically and internally, uh, but he just can't do it. He can't live in God's world apart from him. And so again, if you haven't heard it yet and you're not catching it yet, brothers and sisters, he says there is no right and there is no wrong. So there is no standard of morality where anybody ought to do anything. And now he has a video claiming that Jesus lied mm -hmm. as if it mattered. As if it ultimately mattered. And in his system, it doesn't. So let's just a little more. You got to hear a little more of, of this expatiating upon there is no right or wrong. Time to break through these control systems that are limiting you so that you can be free to realize your true power. What a person believes to be right or wrong entirely depends on a number of factors, such as their upbringing, their parents' values, culture, and religion. You are like a computer, and all of these external influences are programming your mind, 
telling you what is right and what is wrong. For example, a Christian will have internalized all of the teachings of their religion and will base what they believe to be right and wrong on what their religion dictates to them. Even though the Bible has many terrible teachings, such as condemning homosexuals and placing women below men. Which means nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yes, and? Please, go on. <laughs> you were saying? Uh, as you, you, have to, you have to be at least mildly amused at this. The man is not uh, a minute and 15 seconds into the video, and he is just a bundle of contradictions. This is life without God, my friends. It's life without God. It's an attempt to, as an image bearer of God, Romans 1, suppress the truth yeah. of God in unrighteousness. He knows God. He doesn't want God in his knowledge. He doesn't want to know him. So he exchanges the truth of God for a lie. He switches God for idols and totally broken convoluted worldview there is no right there is no wrong we just make all this up ourselves and everyone's just conditioned to believe these things and that's really wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> like what what do you what world do you, so also i just love how he says you know uh you've been conditioned to believe like things like homosexuality is wrong um well if i believe it's wrong does that make me wrong in a world where there is no right or wrong? Right. I mean, think about it. It's a totally convoluted system here. So he says, you've got external influences telling you what's right and wrong. Oh, you mean like you, Morg? <laughs> you mean like you? No, I think the reality here is you have a man who loves his sin, mm -hmm. loves his sexual sin, and wants to live apart from God to be able to express his, his lust and his sin as, exactly right. as often and, and as he wants to. So he's trying to develop a, a worldview that can make all of this coherent, but you can't get a minute and 11 seconds in without contradicting yourself right. flat out. And so, um, but he does say something else here. I'm not, did you, you watch some of this I watched, yeah, yeah, I watched yeah, okay. it. Yeah. For example, here is a verse from the good book. <laughs> A woman should learn in quietness and Good full submission. Exist. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness. First Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Oh, man, I love that verse. <laughs> It's such a great verse. Yeah. It's such a great verse. I do. It just is funny. People, you you have like uh, theological hacks like Jory Micah and and yeah. all these other people who it's amazing. The atheist, it's amazing. His ability to read the Bible and understand it's what it says and better than someone yeah. like Jory Micah. He goes like, no, it says that she's being full submission, like yeah. not to have authority over man. And Jory Micah, the theological hack that she is, uh, she she'll say, you know, it doesn't really say that. Yeah. And he's the atheist that goes, no, that does say that. Yeah. And I want to say. Yeah, it does say that. Yeah, that's that's uh, exact. There, there's an according to God's world, there's there's an order, there's a, a way things are, ought to be. Now his world, he can't complain about it. He's reading a verse that he thinks is morally ob uh, offensive, but he said there's nothing morally right. offensive in a world where there's no objective morality. In a world where there is no moral offense, Morg is morally offended. <laughs> uh, it's a great show. It's a great movie. Um, so. <laughs> Um, now, uh, I, I actually love that verse. And you know how else loves those verses? 
all the women at our church. They love those verses right. because there's an order to creation. It doesn't mean that women are under the boot of man. It means that there is actually a design and function to the world and the way things are sp- supposed to work. Like, for example, um, I'm really glad about that because I'm a man and I don't have anywhere near the giftings of my wife in the very complicated and glorious ways that she is gifted as a woman making a sandwich <laughs> over my home yeah, yeah that's what a lot of people hear right um it's a joke uh, yeah it's just a joke, a joke. um uh, <laughs> she is good at making a sandwich yeah though. she's an amazing cook um but uh she i was just thinking about this the other day i was watching her um just be my wife and the woman and I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I couldn't do any of those things that she's doing. Just the way that she loves our kids and the way that she pours into them in particular ways. And I'm like, that's, that's thank God for mothers <laughs> because they'd be totally jacked up with just a father. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, so in, when scripture gives you God-ordained roles and function, it doesn't mean inferiority in nature. Like a woman is inferior to a man. It just talks about the order of creation and authority. So, um, yeah, that verse is there, and we love that verse. Uh, but you have no objection because there is no right or wrong or good or evil in your worldview. And your own application of reason, um, uh, you don't have a basis to justify your appeal to reason. If you reject the existence of God, if you reject this worldview, then you have no justification at all. For your appeal to reason. Mm-hmm. So he says, so it's not right or wrong morality, it's employ reason. I would say, how do I know reason is reasonable? How do I know that's the ultimate standard? And how do I know you're not lying to me? What if you're lying to me? And what if he goes, no, no, I wouldn't lie to you. Would it be wrong to lie to me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he even goes on in this video at the end, uh, at some point, he even says basically the logic and reason um should be able to change so even logic and reason aren't objectively true right and so not an ultimate standard anyways it's just just maybe a good idea (laughs) (laughs) all right here we go sorry everyone we're having too much fun with this here's another wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Yeah. I kind of want to get, like, is there, like, a Bible version as read by Morg? Yeah, yeah. He's he's got maybe a good narrator voice. Wives. Yeah. So uh, what's amazing is, is, is because there is an ultimate objective standard of truth, which this man does not have, I look at the word of God and I say, amen, hallelujah, let's, let's, have, a, let's have a big moment of praise and worship in here. And uh, he reads it as, oh my goodness, can you believe that it says that wives must submit to their own husbands? <gasps> Horrified, but nothing is right or nothing is wrong. Right. So do you get the complicated nature of this man? He is a bundle of contradictions. He wants to read Bible verses as though they are morally objectionable while two minutes and four seconds into a video that says there is no right or wrong. So I hope we're all catching that. I'll just give this, uh, well, we'll jump back to the other video because you could do this all day long. Uh, this is more on Jesus lied on the end times. Here we go. These ideas can result in what's known as RTS or religious trauma <laughs> syndrome. Dr. Marlene Winnell, PhD writes, 
Religious trauma syndrome is the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. Religious trauma syndrome can be compared to a combination of PTSD and complex PTSD. Now that's something I know all too well and I experienced this firsthand. Now, I did a video all about that if you want to know more. But the verse that shows that Jesus is a... So let's talk about this real fast. First sounds of all, to me like he's trying to indoctrinate me. I'm just yeah, gonna yeah, I'm, feel, I'm feeling a little indoctrinated at the moment. So first thing we need to do again, let's just keep laying it down because it matters. I mean, we could have ended the show on this one point. There is no right or wrong. Trauma, eh, meh. It doesn't <laughs> matter. In your worldview, trauma doesn't matter. So here's what's happening. The unbeliever does this often. They will often uh, try to borrow capital from the Christian worldview to, to to draw on your heartstrings and your image of God emotions, which are very very good by the way. They'll draw on those to say, can you believe this? Wives submitting to husbands? Can you believe children that were traumatized by religion? I want to say, excuse me, you need to give that back. Please stop stealing from me because <laughs> you can't you can't draw from an emotion That's not wrong that in his only exists within a Christian worldview in a coherent way. You you're acting like image bearers of God are valuable and important, like human beings matter in this in this universe, like there's actually purpose and intention and value and dignity to humans. And guess what? You gave all that up when you gave up Jesus. You don't get to draw on those heartstrings in your worldview, especially when you are 2 minutes and 46 seconds into a video that says there is no right and there is no wrong. Talking about trauma, religious trauma syndrome, when your video says there is no right and wrong is meaningless. Now, when you talk about children being traumatized, in my worldview, if Luke and I are hearing about traumatized children, we're saying, how do we save them? How do we protect them? I don't want anybody traumatized right. because that's the image of God. I want justice for children. And all this... Because we have a moral code that says you should rescue those children. Exactly. And so we have a system that says justice matters, love matters, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those are mine, not yours. And by the way, I want to know what's more traumatizing personally. A kid who thinks that the rapture is real or a kid who grows up indoctrinated to believe that their penis doesn't belong in their body and that they can cut it off at eight years old. Hmm. Which worldview is more traumatic with more impact and more devastating implications for the future? Think about it. Because this man is actually indoctrinating, whether he likes it or not. Mm -hmm. He's teaching. That's what indoctrination is. It is teaching. Everybody indoctrinates, and he is indoctrinating on his godless worldview. And he's talking about homosexuality, anything goes, explore yourself. I wonder how he feels about eight-year-olds that think their penis doesn't belong in their body. I wonder if he would, if he would encourage them to just go ahead and... Do the do the deed and and do the hormone treatment and uh, I wonder what kind of trauma that causes to a raised grown up twenty five year old that actually bought into that worldview was manipulated to think that yeah it doesn't belong in your body now they're twenty five years old suicidal and all the rest I'm mm. wondering which one's more traumatic or hey how about telling an eight year old kid hey guess what good night I love you there is no meaning there is no purpose. There is no God. There is no order. There is no good. There is no evil. Everything is chaos. Chaos. You're just going to live and you're going to die and you're going to be gone. You don't matter. Good night. <laughs>
atheism is so stupid. It really is. It is so stupid and damaging. And this man's talking about religious trauma right. syndrome while his worldview is the traumatizing worldview. Hey, kids, guess what? Nothing you ever make is really beautiful. Because nothing is beautiful, yeah. nothing is good, nothing is true, nothing is lovely, and there is no meaning, and there is no right, and there is no wrong. Trauma? I'm sorry, friend. You don't get to take emotions that matter only in my worldview and use them against us. You may have gotten away with this before in the past with Christians who hadn't thought through their worldview, but my friend, uh, your videos, I think, are the um, epitome of, uh, of ignorance, abject ignorance. Okay, here we go. Just telling you how I really feel. Liar has to do with the end of the world, the end times. Now, many people today think that we're living near the end times right now. But I want to make it clear that people are always thinking that it's the end times. Do you guys remember Y2K? For those that don't know, there was a programming bug that people believed was going to occur in the year 2000. Now, this is because many computer... Now, to be fair, we always want to make sure that Christians have integrity. And when someone gets something right and they yeah. say something true, you go, yeah, he's right about that. Absolutely. So morgue official, you are absolutely right. People have many times, oftentimes, most of the time, believed that their generation was a terminal generation and they were living in the quote-unquote last days. Uh, and it is true that uh, you probably grew up in a context where you had like how— you're, you're, I bet you your parents had Hal Lindsey's books— on their shelf. What do you want to bet? He probably had late great I'm not planet bet. Earth. I'm making, not making that bet. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, gar it's guaranteed. <laughs> I can't even talk right now. I'm so upset. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hal Lindsey, uh, Tim LaHaye, late great planet Earth. And then you even, I, I think I still have the books on my shelf. Uh, from when I also believed that Y2K was going to be like the, you know, the thing that, you know, flipped the switch and then Antichrist was revealed. And where did I get that from? Well, I got that from like the crew, like the Hal Lindsey crew, all that stuff. I bet you his dad had that. And he is right. By the way, he is right, especially looking back to 19th century. You've got Christians nonstop saying like, well, maybe maybe these uh, locusts in the book of Revelation, that's just that's like Apache uh, helicopters because he just couldn't he couldn't describe them any other way sort of thing, you know. Um, and uh, you got Christians doing that, you know, for for the longest time, thinking that they were in the terminal generation and all the rest. He's right about that. He, he, he is. He is right about that. I will say, though, Christians aren't the only ones. They were acting like the world was ending in 2000. No, no, no. No, <laughs> for was, sure. There for was sure. everybody. Like, uh, no, yeah. He acts like it was only Christians. It's like, right. you know, like a lot of people. Plus, we, we say this a lot too, like, the you know, the whole Green New Deal, like those liberal lunatics, they also have a, a very uh, they, real eschatology end times. Very good, yeah. You know, where the planet's ending. Right. So, they believe it's the end of the world yeah, too. exactly. In yeah. a sense. So it's not just germane to Christians. Yeah. However, um, it is true that there has been, especially in the last two generations in the West, a, a major push, even at times false prophecies about, you know, the, uh, the rapture and the we're in the final generation and all that stuff. Now, thank God there's a more historic perspective of Christian eschatology mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that uh, is not as popular in the West. By the way, uh, the Puritans and the original people who, you know, my, came over to this nation and all the rest, we think about the history of the West, all that stuff in America, uh, the dominant eschatology in America early on 
this postmillennialism and uh, victorious view of the future and the kingdom of Christ as a present reality growing throughout the world. Uh, the Puritans were postmillennial. And uh, that's what that's what uh, that's what they were. You can look at Athanasius. Um, uh, Athanasius, one of my the great heroes of the Christian faith. Um, uh, long, 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 long time ago, we call him the patron saint of postmillennialism. So what we're saying is not new. Uh, there is a more historic perspective in history. But let's move on. Programs represented four-digit years as only two digits, meaning that the year 2000 would be indistinguishable from 1900. It was warned that this could potentially cause computer systems to fail all around the world, and it was a huge scare, and everyone thought that major computer crashes would occur, and it would kickstart the end of the world, the end times. I remember my parents stocking up on a ton of canned food and barrels of water just in case of the end times. But it turned out that most companies updated their computer systems and so not much happened. The point is that many people are always thinking that the end times are about to occur. But the reason that you need to know all this is because I want to show you the verse that shows that Jesus lied. So Jesus is out talking with his disciples and they ask him about the end of the world. In Matthew 24, three, they ask Jesus, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So Jesus. All right, so let's start addressing that. So he read that from the King James Version. Um, there is a way to speak about age or this epoch or time period as world. And it's it, 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 like the world of the old covenant. It's not a wrong word because there's different ways to describe it, like the, the world of the old covenants. That, that makes sense in, in, a, in a sense. But what he's trying to say here is that he's talking about the end of the world as it is, the physical system of the world, all that stuff. Um, and that is just, sorry, not what the word that is used there. Um, uh, it's age, uh, old covenant age. And the context, by the way, always read things in context. Proof texting is dangerous. You wouldn't want morgue official, someone to proof text you out of your context, and you should not do it to Jesus. Um, although in his worldview, it doesn't matter. Although it doesn't matter. So, you know, right and wrong is meh, meh, uh, meh. M-E-H, meh. <laughs> um, so and, uh, Matthew 23 comes before Matthew 24, obviously, and that's where Jesus is indicting the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, and he says, behold, your house is left you desolate, and then he departs from, and towards the Mount of Olives, and that's when the disciples ask the question, because he says, your house has left you desolate. What's sign of your coming in the end of the age. Now, it's very important here that we understand this. When the question is about the coming of the Messiah, it is clearly in reference to judgment. It comes on the heels of the indictment and the promise that their house will be left to them desolate. And so it is about the judgment of Christ, because the Old Testament said there was going to be salvation and judgment at the coming of the Messiah. I don't have time to go over it all today, but if you look at the last book of your Old Testament and uh, you look at Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, before you open up into Mal uh, Matthew, if you look at just chapters 3 and 4, you'll see what I'm saying. Timeline is messenger comes, Jesus comes, and then there's going to be purification and then judgment. And then there's a promise in chapter 4 that um, uh, Elijah the prophet, the one who calls and brings him to repentance, he will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and, uh, and then there's a, visit, there's a promise of striking the land with a decree of, of utter destruction. The land, the land. 
uh, with utter destruction. That's Israel. That's the people of God. That's the covenant breakers. And so the end of the age is the question here. And when someone says, yeah, but he says the coming of the Messiah. Yeah, it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament. God coming in judgment. I'll give you an example. Uh, if you look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 19, Check out this language. This is one of my favorite. There's many I could pull from, but I always go to this one because it wraps up a couple of things in one text. And it says this. It says, um, in Isaiah 19.1, an oracle concerning Egypt, behold, the Lord, Yahweh, is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt and comes to Egypt. So quick question here. Um, when you're reading uh, Isaiah 19 in reference to God coming to judge Egypt, just quick questions here, very humbly asked. Uh, Yahweh riding on a swift cloud. Literally? Yahweh riding on a cloud? Is that literal? No, it's clearly judgment language. The Bible speaks in dramatic, prophetic hyperbole all the time in the Old Testament. I mean, dramatic language in the Old Testament, very poetic language, but it, it happens, but it's very much like, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm going to knock your lights out. Anybody got a light switch inside them that literally turns off if somebody hits them hard enough? Are you going into the house? Then? Exactly. I'm going to knock your lights out. What's that mean? Well, that's a way of describing I'm going to punch your face in, right? I'm going to knock you out on your back. But why are we saying I'm going to knock your lights out? Or how about this? I'm going to turn your world upside down. Literally? Like on its axis? Uh how are we going to do that? Like, I mean, how am I, am I going to fly out into space and, you know, I'm going to spin the, well, how is this actually supposed to take place? Now, we all understand the dramatic language being used there to get across the point. Uh, I'm going to turn your world upside down. Well, in the text in Isaiah 19, it says, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. Uh, by the way, if you're in, if you're in Arizona, we get this. This God coming on a swift cloud in Arizona. Oh, yeah. We didn't have any mo real monsoons this no, it season. Was awful. It was terrible. We didn't get them. It's actually bad for it's very our bad for us. We don't have it's it, yeah. super bad for us. We get fifty percent of our our water yeah. from the monsoons. Yeah. We didn't get nothing. Yeah. Um, but when in Arizona, you know, when you're in the desert, man, when these monsoons come, it is epic. It looks like apocalyptic. It's really cool looking. It's so cool looking. I mean, you have to sometimes pull your car over yeah. because it turns into complete darkness in the middle of the day. Because when this monsoon covers the land, it is epic. But when you see the clouds coming off into the distance, from the distance into your land, it's like, whoa. It looks like judgment. Do you get the point? So Isaiah 19, an oracle concerning Egypt, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And the idols of the Egypt will tremble at his presence and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. Like, literally melt within them? Or is this judgment talk about God coming in judgment on a cloud? Interesting, isn't it? Because you see that same language in the New Testament. Now, question, did it, did it really happen? Yeah, God judged Egypt. But was it literally on a cloud? No, that's judgment talk. So when Jesus talks about coming on a cloud in Matthew 24, and it's all in the context of judgment upon the covenant breakers, are you starting to see the connection now about how it all works together? And when Jesus is talking about coming in judgment on that generation, there's no reason to associate it with the final resurrection. It's a judgment coming of Yahweh. It's judging his people. The Lord judges his people. So next, do you, unless you have something. I was just going to say, because we probably won't have time to finish the whole video. He, I think it's towards the end where he kind of addresses this metaphor language. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I la I'm laughing because he basically, one of the last points he makes is that he says, so basically Christians say that the almost the entire Bible is literal. 
except when it comes to this, so that Jesus didn't lie. And that's and it's like no, that's not at all what Christians say. There's a lot of uh, metaphors throughout Scripture, and you know, no one no one is saying that all of the Scripture is literal except for Matthew 24. Right, like God covering you in the yeah. shadow of His wings. Right. I don't think God has feathers. Right. I understand what the word means, though. I understand what the language is employing there. Uh, but yeah, let's let's move on. Begins to describe to them all the terrible things that are going to happen. He talks about wars and bloodshed, earthquakes, disease, deceit, famines. He talks about how the rapture will occur and people will vanish. He talks. Nope, he does not. Matthew chapter 24 does not talk about that at all, but you got some of it right. Matthew chapter 24, let me get to the text there. I lost the page. Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus does promise them wars, rumors of wars, and all the rest. And let me just uh, make sure I put this. Let me, let me help you a bit, Morgan, make sure you have all this together. He says before and after the discourse that all these things are going to be upon this generation. So here's what he says. In Matthew 24, when he uh, left the temple and was going away, the disciples came to him. To the, and, and to point out the buildings of the temple. He just said it's going to be destroyed. And they come and they're like pointing out the temple uh, buildings. And he says, do you not, uh, you see all these things, do you not? Verse two, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. By the way, that did happen. Uh, if you read the history of the war between the Romans and the Jews, that's exactly what happened. They set fire to the temple. They literally, literally took it apart one stone off of another. I know I'm speaking fast, but I'm trying to get through this for everybody. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us when will all these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Who's he talking to? Brothers and sisters, talking to me? Talking to Luke, talking to you. No. Who's in the conversation with Jesus? The disciples. Mm -hmm. So he says, the temple's going to be destroyed. Not one stone upon another. And he tells them what you will see. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And when they will leave many astray. Well, just read the first century things outside the New Testament. You have false messiahs. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you have false messiahs that Jesus, uh, Josephus refer refers to, first century Jewish historian. He says that that first century generation was inundated with would-be messiahs and false messiahs that even brought people out into the wilderness mm -hmm. and perished. And so there were false messiahs. It can be documented that that, in fact, did take place. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. Quick thing on this. Uh, it's a strange thing for Jesus to be saying during the Pax Romana, there's, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Understand this. If that was said in any other generation in history, like, say, our generation. Right, exactly. If somebody said, like, if I came and said, hey, guys, here's a prophecy. In the next 10 years or next generation, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. You guys would be like... You have the same kind of meh that you had about Morg's, uh, you know, explanation of no right and no wrong. You'd be like, that's not very impressive. But when Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, when it's the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and Rome essentially enforces peace, that's actually a significant prophecy. And by the way, it did take place. There's a first century writers. You can look this up yourself. They said at one point it was like the whole war, the whole world was at war with itself. Everybody was at war with each other. And that all took place within a generation of Jesus' prophecy. Uh, Jesus says, nation will rise against nation. Happened. Kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, just a quick point on this. Um, uh, there was such dramatic and awful famines in the first century. Uh, it was it was a terrifying time to be alive. Uh, and if you even look at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, the famine was so bad they were eating dung and their own children right. to survive. 
um, and the earthquakes in various places. One of the greatest earthquakes in the history of the world was in Pompeii in the 60s of the first century. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Who is he talking to? And put you to death. Is he talking to me? And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Question, brothers and sisters, who's the you there? Uh, that's his yeah. first century audience. His disciples. Now, quick question. Was there that kind of persecution in the first century? Yes. Yes, there was. Especially when the Jews and the Romans teamed up and it became right. two people, uh, two groups fighting against the Christian church. It was the beast and the whore, the beast and the harlot. It was, of course, uh, Rome and the corrupt old covenant uh the covenant breakers of the first century, they were slaughtering Christians uh, left and right. Nero did it uh, in, in a disgusting way. And of course that took place. Uh, and he says, and, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It's in the New Testament record itself. It's outside the New Testament record itself. And here's what it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end of what? The end of the age. Mm -hmm. And people struggle with this. They say, ah, the gospel preached throughout the entire world? Uh, yep. Uh, that was uh, the known world at the time, what they were talking about. And, and the New Testament says that it happened. You might be saying, how? Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says their faith was being proclaimed throughout the whole world. In Colossians chapter 1, he says the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven the entire known Roman Empire, that world, what they were talking about, that's what they were describing. You may not like it, but the New Testament says it. And so when you say that has to take place, New Testament says that it did. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Isn't it interesting that this is so local you can get away from it? He's talking about it in terms of this is a global, right. catastrophic, end-of-the-physical-world right. situation, but Jesus is talking about it in terms of it being local judgment. If you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Abomination causes desolation. Mm -hmm. Luke 21 says when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and you might be saying, well, did anybody else ever interpret it this way? Well, take a look. Uh, if you look at my screen here, this is uh, from Eusebius early Christian bishop, and he is talking about the last siege of the Jews after Christ. This is from his book, um, I think it's uh, just book six or book three. It's book three, chapter five. Uh, now, check this out. I'm going to just show you here with my little thing there. Okay, here we go. Uh, describing uh, in three here, it says this, but the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by a revelation. So people in Jerusalem had been commanded by revelation, vouchsafed to approved men there before the war, the war of the Romans and the Jews, to leave the city and dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella. And when those that believed in Christ had come there from Jerusalem, then as if the royal city of the Jews and the whole land of Judea were entirely destitute of holy men, the judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. Isn't it interesting that this early Christian father says that the, the Christians in Jerusalem interpreted the revelation of Jesus as to escape the city, mm -hmm. and then they did. So watch this. Jesus says here in the text, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee to the mountains. Guess what they did? Guess where they, guess where they went? They went to Pella. 
So the Christians actually escaped the war between the Romans and the Jews. Why? Because the Roman armies, a matter of historical record, they came in, they surrounded the city, and then Rome started falling apart. So they actually left and departed to go back to Rome. The Christians, after being surrounded by armies, they saw them leave. The Christians fled the city. And then all of a sudden, the Roman armies turned back around, resacked the city, and then there was the war between the Romans and the Jews where they annihilated them. So isn't it interesting that Eusebius says that the early Christians interpreted that revelation as referring to their generation, and then they escaped. Also, he claims that there's a promise here about the rapture taking place. There's no rapture here. No. As a matter of fact, the text says the people who are left behind are the righteous, exactly right. not the wicked. Like Noah's day. Who was left behind in Noah's day? Uh, the righteous were, not the wicked. I know that that throws us into a huge spin when we, as Christians, finally see that. Let the text speak. Who was left behind in Noah's day? It was the righteous, not the wicked. Who was taken away? The wicked were taken away, not the righteous. Read the text, brothers and sisters. You'll see it right there. And lo and behold, what took place in the first century? That. I know we're going over time. I know you have a radio show. To yes. do. Can we still go a little bit here? Is it okay? Just uh, about maybe 10 minutes? Yeah, I think Carmen said it couldn't go over an hour 20, though, because it wouldn't record. So. Uh-oh, uh-oh. If I remember, that's what he said. Carmen, are we good? Can we still go in here? I'm not sure if you he can hear us. Yeah, we're still good to go. Okay, good. All right, so just a quick thing here. Let me go ahead and play some more of this, because I think it's going to get into a major part that might be very yeah. helpful. Uh, here we go. It's about the sun darkening, the moon no longer giving light, yeah, yeah. the stars falling from heaven, and how he's going to return in the clouds. Matthew 20. All right, that's a big one. So Matthew chapter 24, um, I would argue all of this did take place in the first century. The problem is, is that Morg, um, official, doesn't seem to understand the verses that Jesus was quoting from. So when Jesus says, sun being darkened, all that, 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 whole, that whole scene, people say, how did that take place in the first century? Mm. Well, it's easy to understand what Jesus was saying if you know where Jesus was quoting from. Right. And that'll throw a lot of us into like a, wow, what? He was quoting from something? Yeah, look at your text. You'll even see it at times it's, it's blocked out as a quote. Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament. And so you have to ask the question, well, about what? Well, Jesus had just told them their house is left in them desolate. He just told them that that generation would see all these things take place. He just told them their temple is going to be destroyed. He just told them that there's going to be this great tribulation upon that generation. And then he starts quoting from Isaiah? He starts quoting from the Old Testament about sun being darkened and all, all of this stuff. Here it goes. Uh, here it goes. Uh, 29, 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, then the sign of the Son of Man in heaven will appear and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. See, Jesus is actually there. He's quoting from a couple of verses. One, Isaiah 13, and there's another one in Isaiah as well. This language was used to dis just describe the destruction of a nation or a city-state. And it's used in Isaiah 13 when talking about Babylon and in Isaiah about Egypt. So in other words, God's already said this before. And it wasn't literal. It was the dramatic prophetic hyperbole that you see is common in the Old Testament. And God talked that way about destroying Egypt and Babylon. Sun being darkened, moon not giving its light, and the stars falling mm -hmm. from heaven. And it wasn't literal then. It was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn your world upside down. I'm going to deconstruct your universe. 
I'm going to wipe it out. And what that mean? Judgment. I'm going to destroy your I'm going to destroy your nation. I'm going to destroy you. And guess what? When God used it before, the stars didn't literally fall and crash the earth. Our sun is a star. If it got any closer to us, it would be toast. Yeah. It's one star. So what's the language mean? Destruction, judgment. But the only thing is, here's where it gets crazy. Watch this. In the Old Testament, it was used against pagans. Mm -hmm. Egypt, Babylon. And now Jesus is using it about the covenant-breaking yep, Jews. exactly. So don't you see now? Do you feel the impact of it? Back then, God used it about pagans. Now Jesus is among them, and he's using that language about the desolation of the Jewish order and all those people and house left in them desolate. Now he's using Isaiah's language against the Jews who are rejecting him. Again, it wasn't literal then, but it was literal destruction. But stars didn't really fall from the heavens. It's dramatic language the Bible uses often. And then he also refers to the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, all the tribes of the earth mourning, and then the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven. Well, that's interesting. What could he be quoting from? Daniel 7, 13 through 14. Now, first and foremost, you know that cloud comings are judgment, power, authority. Isaiah 19, God coming on a cloud against Egypt was judgment. But now you have Jesus on a cloud, Son of Man. Wait, Son of Man? Oh, where was that at? Oh, that's in Daniel, chapter 7, 13 through 14. And this is where Daniel says he's looking the night visions, and he we sees one like a Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And it says that this Son of Man comes up. Which direction does it go? Up to the Ancient of Days. Which direction did Jesus go? Up. And what did he say? All authority has been given to me. Now go get the nations. But now Jesus is quoting from Daniel 7. But what's Daniel 7 about? It's about the Son of Man coming to do what? To bring the nations, tribes, tongues, people, languages to him and to rule over his people, the world, all the nations. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will never pass away. So Jesus now is combining Isaiah's judgment passages with Daniel's message of the Messiah winning the world with his kingdom, bringing the nations. <gasps> oh, wait, and there we go. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds. We get thrown by that because angelos, the word for angels, we think... Fat babies on we, harps. We think angels. <laughs> well, guess what the word angelos means? It means Messenger. messengers. Now, he just quoted Daniel 7, 13 through 14, about the Son of Man coming on the clouds and bringing the tribes and nations and languages to God. But now Jesus quotes it and says that he's going to send out his messengers and they will gather his elect, which is what Daniel 7, 13 through 14 is about. This isn't about the end of the physical cosmos. Mm -hmm. This is about the kingdom of Jesus, the messianic kingdom, salvation and judgment. Nations coming to God and the covenant people are broken, destroyed and judged. And it is true, brothers and sisters, we've got to contend with it, that after Jesus says all of this, he says, truly, I say to you, his generation, right. this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. All these things includes stars falling from heaven. It includes angels gathering God's elect. It includes cloud coming. It includes famine, judgment, plague and the destruction of the Jewish temple. It actually happened, though. The problem is misinterpretation and misapplication. The problem is not understanding that Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament when he uses this language. So I would say, first and foremost, uh, morgue official, lying doesn't matter in your worldview. Uh, there is no right or wrong. And two, 
all those things happened. And stop lying. So you lied. <laughs> now, from our from our perspective, your lie is meaningful, right. dramatic, and sinful. Um, but from your perspective, lying doesn't matter in the first place. So I'm going to do what's right before God here and love you enough to say to you, Morg Official, you were raised in a Christian home. You were never really a Christian. Um, it's not possible for God to lose any of his people. The Bible says that they went out from us in order to show they were never really of us. So you never were a Christian. Uh, you had a profession of faith, but you clearly didn't know who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. You never turned your life over to Christ and trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins. Uh, so you were never a believer, and I want you to know Christ. That's what Luke and I would want from you. We yeah, are, exactly. of course, laughing at some of the absurdities of your worldview because they are laughable. Right. And the fact that you can't see them shows that your heart is hardened you're, and you're blind. And we do believe that God has enough power uh, to raise any dead person to life, and you are dead. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. You are lost, and uh, you don't know God, and yet you do. You don't know him in terms of you don't want him in your knowledge, mm -hmm. but you know him well enough to know that it's wrong to traumatize children, even though you say that it's not. Right. Um, so you live in this complicated worldview where you cannot maintain consistency and you never will. And the problem is not simply your perverse sexual choices that you're propagating and uh, promulgating. It's not just the inconsistencies. Uh, it's, it's, it's not your appearance that's the problem, ultimately. The problem is your sin against God, and your whole life is a life of rebellion and sin, which is where now it's being expressed in such mm -hmm. complicated and convoluted ways. The message of the gospel is that God became man and lived the sinless, righteous, blameless life that none of us have. Not me, not Luke, not you. And that you and I are rebels against a holy God. You are worthy of God's wrath. You are worthy of his wrath, and so am I outside of Jesus. And you will face him in judgment. All of your complicated arguments and convoluted arguments are not a defense before God. You will have no excuse, and you have no excuse. And so Jesus lived perfectly and righteously, and he died a death for sinners that every one of us deserves, and he rose again from the grave. He is ascended. He is that reigning king that was promised in Matthew 24. That's the kingdom right. that was promised, and he's ruling and reigning now. The call of the good news is that Jesus is the Messiah. He accomplished all of his work. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin to the living God, come to Christ for life, trust in him for forgiveness and salvation as a gift of God's grace through what he's accomplished. But you're going to have to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And uh, we know, we know that we love our sins and we're slaves to sin, but if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're praying for you, uh, Morg official. And um, I hope that was helpful. Luke, any parting thoughts no, here? Amen. Just we're doing the show because we care about you, Morgan. And hope that you trust in Christ. So That's right. And so uh, love to have an engagement with you. I'm not sure how to do that, but uh, if, you, if you do end up seeing this, I hope that, um, uh, that you're impacted at least in some respect by what we brought to you as of a more historic, biblical, Christian position on these issues. And maybe it'll at least cause you to think about the tradition you came from and uh, maybe, to, maybe to pull this embarrassing video down. Um, and uh, maybe also work on the other one that says that right and wrong doesn't exist because yeah. it kind of goes against all the rest of the uh, uh, Everything. Mo moral indictments that you 
that you yell out. Um, and so hope this was a blessing to everybody, guys. Thank you so much for watching. I encourage everyone to go to apologiastudios.com. Apologiastudios.com is where you guys go to get all the past episodes. You can go get uh, radio shows, TV shows, after shows, Apology Academy, and you partner with us in ministry, making everything possible. Be in prayer for us as we get the whole Bonson Library and we get it uh, uploaded. And uh, and again, it's going to be available to everyone for free. It'll be, it's not, all access is its own thing. This is going to be an addition to all yeah. access over here. Uh, but sign up for all access. It makes everything we do possible, including the Bonson Library stuff we're working on. So thank you guys so much for your love. We hope this show blessed you. That's Luke the Bear. Peace out. I'm Jeff the Coleman and Ninja. We're catching you next week right here.